Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, Diva Talk Radio. Because I'm ready to welcome you to the Mr. Divabetic Show. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and tonight I'm giving Barbara Walters a run for her money as I introduce you to nine women that I view as the most fascinating people in my life for 2013. Now, you might be thinking, what makes someone more fascinating than another person? That's not always an easy question to answer. Just because you can twerk doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up being on my list this year, no feelings hurt. But overall, honestly, I think fascinating people are risk takers. They're not quitters. They're passionate about it more than, than just love in their life. In fact, they're in love with life. They're curious. They're opinionated. They're self-confident. They're patient. They move through life with grace. They might sing in the shower. They dance to their own kind of music. And when they walk into a room, I believe they truly sparkle. Throughout the show tonight, I'll be introducing you to my favorite sparklers this year, including Kathy Dolgen, a.k.a. High Voltage, diabetes advocate Taryn Bentois, artist Susan McCaslin, poet Lorraine Brooks, authors Kim Standridge-Boykin, Holly Kingston, Kim Chandler, Susan Greenberg-Wiener, and Miss Exquisite Full-Figured USA 2013, Andrea White. They'll be joining me shortly, but before we begin, I'd like to encourage you to help spread the power of love by showing your support for our dazzling brand of outreach and donate today at divabetic.org. Your deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Now, let's get on with the show. All right, you know, if you want to make an impact, big or small, experts say you have to get, um, you should get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. All growth begins at the end of your comfort zone. Maybe the thing you, you're most scared of is exactly what you should do. Sometimes life is about risking it all for a dream no one else could see but you. And I believe that's true for my first uh, guest. In fact, she's known <laughs> as America's number one energy conductor. She's on a crusade to get sugar out of our public schools and to motivate us all to become sugar savvy. Her national nonprofit organization, Energy Up, empowers New York City girls at risk to be fit, fabulous and fierce. Please welcome to the show my good friend, High Voltage. And you, cutie pie. Time to sparkle up. <laughs> sparkle and shine. You know, you, you're not only fascinating <laughs> to me this year, you're fascinating for every year I've ever known you. You're such a motivating force in my life and uh, you're so empowering. And I know for you, um, this has been an incredible year because so much has been going on, not only with your organization, but you personally. But I want to go back in time for people who aren't aware of who you are and talk about the first time you ever stepped into Mother Cabrini High School up in Washington Heights, New York City, and what happened. 
Well, actually, I was invited to a luncheon uh, for Mayor Giuliani. It was right after 9-11. And they were doing a luncheon to honor him. One of the celebrities that was meant to show up to be sitting on the dais couldn't show up. PR company called me, Voltage, can you help us out? You know, we need someone, blah, blah. Sure, you know, my pleasure. No idea what I'm walking into, none. I'm just going for an afternoon to help out a PR friend. I walk in, I meet these amazing young ladies, and they introduce everybody um, that was with Mayor Giuliani, and they're like, the girls are like, hi, Voltage, oh my God, you're so cool, what do you do? I said, well, I help people become their best and the most empowered, and I had just put the entire town of Huntington, Long Island on my program, so I just come off a gig, you know, working with large groups. And Max, I said, you know, let me speak to one of the sisters, and it's a Catholic girls' school, and I'm talking to her, you know, you have to let me do what we do, we're loud, we're proud, we bring in our own food, music, and the nun, a nun is looking at me, and I don't know if she's saying, how this woman get in here, but to make a, you know, a long story short, they said, we think you'd be amazing for our girls. That was 12 years ago, I never left. Um, those are my daughters. I fell in love with them. I stopped running all over the world with the richest people on the planet, you know, being their energy conductor and traveling and living with them. And I realized that, you know, I wish I would have had someone like me when I was their age to help me with my food and my eating issues because I was such a food addict and I was such a sugar addict, and I didn't understand it. So once I started working with the girls, Max, I just never left. I'm still there 12 years later. And this is amazing because this year you took it to another level. And actually, um, although you've, you've branched out with Energy Up and you're not only at Mother Cabrini <clears throat> High School, but you also work with the Young Women's Leadership Network School. There are five of them in the city. But you also started working with the community and reaching out to adult women around this concept of sugar savvy. So tell everyone a little bit about what Sugar Savvy is, because I know next year, 2014, is going to be even a bigger year for you. Well, I partnered with Reader's Digest, and there is a book. My next book coming out is Sugar Savvy, and it's the education um, to understand sugar moderation, and if sugar is a drug to you, of course, you have to kick it to the curb. But when you talk about sugar and the pushback you get, you know, when you try to get people to think about being sugar-free, everybody would say to me, but you know, moderation is the key to success, moderation. Well, if you're a sugar addict, there is no moderation, just like there's no moderation if you're an alcoholic. You don't drink light beer, you don't drink. If you are a sugar addict, you must kick it to the curb, but millions of people are not. So when they would say, faulty, moderation, key to success, I said, well, what is moderation? Nobody had that answer. Nobody even asked the question. So I started doing my homework, and I started contacting different organizations, American, you know, AMA, American Cancer Society, everybody, and it's all pretty much the same thing for young girls. And for women, basically, it's no more than 24 grams in 24 hours, which is six teaspoons of added sugar a day. Max, six teaspoons of sugar. Most people have that before they get out of the house in the morning. So Without I even knowing it. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a huge and an amazing wake-up call to all these people who are saying voltage, moderation is the key to success, moderation, when they, and, and, and remembering Drinking any sort of, you know, fruit juice is the same as drinking Coca-Cola 
or vitamin water, and that's very difficult for a lot of parents to hear, but it's not me talking, Max. The science is there. That's what's exciting. It's exciting to be what I do today and many other educators out there that have been aware that for millions of people, sugar is a drug. There's addictive qualities to these processed foods. And that's a known fact now. I'm not screaming it and everybody's saying to me, Voltage, what are you talking about? You know, we've been pulling that wagon uphill for many years and there's no more hill. Like everybody, America's waking up, Max. They are waking up quickly. Well, now, you know, we're going in the holiday season. A lot of people hearing this are going to think, oh, my gosh, what a downer. But the truth is when you come to a high-voltage Energy Up concert, it's like a shout-out workout. There's so much positivity. You actually, I was there to watch 200 girls in the 6th and 7th grade uh, declare that they were going to give up SSBs, which are sugar-sweetened beverages. You mentioned a couple, fruit juice, vitamin water, sodas, definitely one. And they gave them up for a week, and they were screaming and yelling like it was a rock concert. So you really believe when you're working out and you're feeling better, you know, it's about empowerment. And I love the fact that you use affirmations. I want to talk a little bit about using positivity to help people make these kind of lifestyle changes. Well, affirmations and gratitude are just as important to the Energy Up program as eating sugar savvy and working your body and, and being hydrated. Those five points, affirmations, words are power. If you think you can't do it, you're right. If you know you can do it, you're right. Words create your reality. Our brains are like computers. So with Energy Up and the reason um, the Energy Up program is the first program that really put moving affirmations. In other words, while we're working out and moving, we're shouting out loud and proud. And all of our affirmations start with, I am happy. I am healthy. I am the best. I deserve the best. I'm beautiful. I'm smart. Hearing those beautiful young girls standing there going, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm powerful and strong. And you just see them as they chanted. They stand up taller, they smile, their shoulders are back. I mean, Max, many times you've been there with me because I couldn't have done these last five years without you assisting me with the Energy Up program in the schools. But you see these kids, once we help them understand they can do anything, they just become light and bright. And then gratitude, this time of year, the holidays for so many are such a, a sad and depressing time because we've been brainwashed that, you know, the holidays is just in buying things and spending money and getting more stuff. And it's not about more stuff. It's being grateful for what we have and helping others. I mean, that, the holidays, to me, is giving and giving of yourself to others, not getting. So our girls, that is the mentality and the spirit that we educate them with. And it's been... It's been mind-boggling to me. Cause well, you kids. walk the talk, Voltage. I mean, you really do walk the talk. So when people are, no, but when people are listening to this, I know some people, some of my listeners are rolling their eyes. And the truth is, like, if you met High Voltage, you do live a sugar-savvy life. But you also oh, practice sure. affirmations. I just want to, what do you say to people when you, what do you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning? Because I think well, that please. first thought is so important for people who are trying to make a change right now. I know the holidays, like you said, can be depressing. A lot of people are 15 pounds heavier rather than 15 pounds lighter at this time of year. And it all starts with that thinking of making the change. So what do you do every day to start your day? 
Well, first of all, before I go to sleep at night, I, I have my word, the daily word, and I have different spiritual, you know, books that I just read over and over and over. And you make sure before you go to sleep at night that you really do a little med- meditating and, and just being grateful and loving, no matter what. Forgiving everybody for anything, can't carry any angst around with you. And first thing in the morning, I honestly, the first thing out of my morning is good morning, Lord, good morning, Mother Cabrini. <laughs> I say that every morning and meaning it. And I thank the I, I thank the Lord. There's a strong spiritual, you know. I know the word religion scares a lot of people, but spiritual and turning your life over to something stronger. I wake up every morning just in gratitude, and I say these things constantly. Max, you're with me. I'm always chanting. I'm always stretching and moving, and I'm always like mumbling words, but it's not. It's like I'm always chanting to myself and. That's you always start with I'm do. happy, I'm healthy, and you, a lot of times I know you say I'm happy, I'm healthy, I am the best, and I deserve the best. And I, I hope people listening write that down. They could always go to your, you're on Twitter with Energy Up, you're at energyup.org. You Absolutely. also are on Facebook, you're posting things on Facebook. But you even, I mean, talking about um, just fascinating people, next year this book is going to come out with Reader's Digest. You're taking this program in New York City to, uh, to Chicago. Where do you where do you really what do you really want, hope to accomplish in 2014? I hope in 2014 that we really can roll the Energy Up program out to many schools around the country. Set up sugar savvy sisterhoods. Uh, Reader's Digest and I are talking about setting up the sugar savvy sisterhoods around the country, which is similar across between AA meetings and you know um, readers. Um, just any program where people get together. It's more, it's, AA is a huge part of my program, meaning the spiritual aspects of it. So I really want to travel around the country a lot this year and meeting people and helping them to inspire them to make change the same way that we have. And everybody, if you are rolling your eyes, I was a food addict. I'm the first woman in my family not to be 100 pounds overweight. My eating and my behavior was out of control. I used to burn myself. I used to cut myself. I was so desperately unhappy, and anybody can turn it around at any time. That's what my message is, and get that crap. You, nobody's got a gun at your head to keep eating all this crap that we keep eating, and if you're addicted to it, kick it to the curb. You'll be uncomfortable for a few days. You will get through it, and you will thrive. You just got to do it. Well, thank you for being a part of the show. Remember, check out High Voltage on Facebook. Uh, energy up twitter energy up and of course energyup.org thanks voltage happy holidays thank you much love right back to you and all of your divas energy up oh i love high voltage and you know i also love a funny 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 person I just discovered one of these fascinating people. This is my newest find, everybody. I was out, um, I was on Facebook, and I think I went to Goodreads, and I found all about this woman's book. She's an avid reader, and, I'm, and she's a big fan of immersing herself in imaginary situations. But I think she's hilarious. And her new book, A Christmas Novella, A Cinderella Christmas, caught my eye because of its subline subtitle, A Prince, A Diva, A Tiny Dog, and One Very Frustrated Cow. I thought that was the story of my life until I met Holly Kingston. Please welcome to the show, author Holly Kingston. Hi, Holly. Hi, Max. Absolutely lovely to speak to you. 
I'm fa- I loved it. I loved I loved the book from the start to finish of Cinderella Christmas. I got the ebook. It was you were my first ebook. You even beat me from getting Cherry Adair's Ricochet, which uh, we were reading oh, last okay. month. I read yours first. I laughed all the way through this book. I thought it was hysterical, and I, th- I, th- I think it's such a sweet story. Tell everyone a little bit about um, the plot. I'm absolutely thrilled you liked it. Um, do you um, do you get the Christmas pantomimes? Are they big in the states? Uh, no, I mean I kind of a, I thought of them as like a uh, a variety show. I think I attended one when I was touring with Luther uh, Vandross in in London, but I don't think most people know what they are. Well, just to give a bit of an overview, the Christmas pantomime is huge in the UK. Um, it normally goes on for about four weeks over the Christmas period, and it's normally based on a fairy tale. The costumes are absolutely crazy. The sets are very lavish. It's a very family event, um, but there's a lot of it's a lot. There's a lot of jokes, a lot of comedy, a lot of dancing, and it really is something that's sort of part of the festive season in the UK. Um, so I was really thinking about jobs um, where that take people away from their families at Christmas because. Christmas is a strange time of year. It's a fantastic time of year, but it can be quite lonely for some people. Um, and one of the jobs that I was thinking of was, what if you were working in theatre and you were working one of these plays? Um, so A Cinderella Christmas is about a girl called Lucy, who's a dancer. And she's been given a slightly unusual role in the pantomime. <laughs> she's been given the role of the back end of the cow which is not exactly the most glamorous position for her to be in. Um, so she's in this giant costume and she's, um, she's literally sort of bent over for the duration of the play trying to tap dance in this ridiculous suit. Um, and it's her story, really. It's her trying to get her confidence together. She's, she's dying to get out there. She's a, she's a very strong person underneath, but she's just, her confidence has failed her and she'd love to be an actress, but she's just, she's just not, not got it in, in her at the moment to really push it. So it's, it's a comedy and it's a story about her sort of pushing herself and the characters around her. But I think it's a fantastic story because the characters really are larger than life. Um, Charmaine is a fantastic character that she meets. Um, okay, now I love Charmaine. Okay, so Charmaine <laughs> is the diva, the reality star diva playing Cinderella in this production in your book. And um, I just think it's so fascinating because, you know, in, in America, I, I would make Charmaine would be Kim Kardashian. That would be fantastic. Um, we, because we I know she's like the celeb- British reality star, except Charmaine does sing a little off-key, so maybe you know, we'd have to figure out someone, <laughs> some casting in the U.S. But you know, the interesting thing about Charmaine, and I don't want to give this story away, but she is the diva. So who, who inspired that character first off from you to create Charmaine? It wasn't any one particular person. Um, I do Was love it one of the Spice Girls? I'm going to just put you in the hot seat. Right <laughs> It wasn't, but that, 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 that could have been good fun. Um, she's, she's an amalgamation, really, of, of a lot of different characters. She, she's, the, she's absolutely beautiful. She's got the huge hair. Um, she's got the, uh, the fabulous confidence about her that I think sort of uh, we all wish we could emulate sort of parts of that from time to time. Um, but she has her secrets, and everything's not how it seems to the outside world. 
so we we sort of find out that as the book progresses that um and she's smarter than people uh, think she is you know she's kind of cagey which i really kind of appreciate because i do think you know women in the entertainment industry especially if they feel they're more valued for their looks than their talent could get a little bit bitter you know and and witchy, uh, bitchy, where we say sugar's a bitch, not me at Divabetic for that reason. And I feel like, you know, you did, um, I mean, we all love Lucy. That's a, and I love this story. I think it's, I, I hope people go get it a Christmas, um, a Cinderella Christmas, but Charmaine is that kind of diva that I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm glad at the, some way in the story, you see that she's a little bit crafty and she's, she's got another ulterior motive going on. She's just not so super shallow to me. I felt. No, but she, I'm always looking for the redeeming qualities in people. <laughs> I'm with you in that 100%. I think everybody's got their redeeming qualities. And I think for me, Charmaine, it shows the different types of intelligence that there are because you can be book smart but not particularly practical. Um, you, could, you could be incredibly good at engineering but know nothing about literature. There's, there's so many different ways that people can be clever. And as you pointed out, Charmaine might not come across as the, as the smartest cookie. She certainly makes a few bloopers throughout the book where you sort of, she says things, her words get muddled sometimes. But she's actually very, very smart. And I think it is a sort of frustration that she's probably been pigeonholed unnecessarily. Is she like a Samantha Fox? Um, oh, gosh, that, that's a bit of a throwback now. So it's not, it's oh, well, honey, I was doing, like, uh, theater back in in London, like, in the 90s with Luther Vandross. Uh, I don't know the current crop, but I'm, I'm so probably, fascinated by this that you came up with, Charmaine, because I have to tell you, I Luther performed on, uh, it was one night only with the Spice Girls, and it was an all-female audience, and French and Saunders, who are two of my favorite British comedians, were there along with, I think, Ruby Wax, who I'm going to ask you about in a minute. And the funny thing about this was we, we had to go backstage, you know, at the show, and uh, they had a commissary. And the Spice Girls just walked in, and stood in line like everyone else waiting to go through the cafeteria. Now, I've been on uh, Jay Leno and David Letterman, and the stars do not do that. And I was kind of blown away every time we did a British TV show, and we did a lot of different uh, Top of the Pops and things like that, how everyone backstage didn't seem to have that attitude. So when you created Charmaine, I was kind of like a little bit curious if it was more of an American kind of character than a British character, because I never really saw that kind of total diva outside of the Collins sisters, Jackie or Joan, doing that kind of <laughs> attitude. I've never, I've never been lucky enough to meet any of the Spice Girls. Um, so, as, as I say, Charmaine's definitely a larger-than-life character. So, she was, she was plucked, plucked from the imagination, and uh, as I say, a sort of conglomerate of all the beautiful people that you get in these magazines. So. Well, now, but you're super relaxed, outside. Holly, and we should tell everyone, this is your very first book. So, in 2013, you crossed this off your list. You're, you're an author now, and you're going to have more books coming out. So, tell everyone a little bit about what happened for you and how this happened uh, with, this, with writing a book, because this wasn't – you started out – I was reading your website, hollykingston.com, and you were actually, at one point, I think you were a psychology major? I was, yes. Yes, I, I got my BSc in psychology um, at university in England. And um, it was really a few years after I graduated that I started seriously writing. I, I, I always wanted to write as a child. I think sort of, uh, I think you sort of have these dreams. And then when you're little, it's very easy for them to be 
it's very easy to get discouraged because I think especially with something with any kind of art people sort of look at you and kind of go well that's very nice but you need to get a serious job um so about 10 years ago I started started writing a novel and um, I got the whole chapter through and then I reread it and it was absolutely shocking so um so I filed it. It went in the filing cabinet. It's still there, and it will never, ever come out. Um, <laughs> and then about about six years ago, I started writing again, and this time I actually stuck at it. And um, I read a lot of books on how to write and a lot of blogs. Uh, the online community is incredibly supportive, and I learned that writing really is, is rewriting. The more editing you can do, the better, um, and perseverance really is key. So I've written quite a lot of scripts, um, but this is my first first book that's um, been published. So it's really exciting at the moment, Max. It's um, very, very thrilling time. Hats off! I loved it on this side of the ocean. I thought it was. I think you're hysterical. <laughs> you're so funny. That book is adorable. So when is the next book coming out? Because now I'm going to be following you and stalking you on Facebook. Oh well, hope, hopefully as soon as possible in 2014. So I'm 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 halfway through it at the moment. So it's um it's another book with a strong female main character, and this one's a full length novel. So um so yes, fingers fingers crossed. I just need to get my head down now and concentrate. All right, now how can people pick up a Cinderella Christmas, Holly? Well, it's available on Amazon.com. Um, it's available. It's one dollar twenty-five. Um, it was one dollar twenty-seven. It's come down slightly, so I think the exchange rate might be working in your favor. It, um, it is. I think I got it for ninety-nine cents. <laughs> I want to tell people. <laughs> so, and if any of your listeners would like to read the book, and if if they if they like it and they would like to put in a review on Amazon.com, that would be phenomenal because on the .co.uk site, I've had some lovely reviews from readers. Um, but obviously, with this being my home home turf as it were um sort of it's it's been a little bit more familiar here i suppose so uh that would be fantastic but it's available as an ebook but if you don't have if, if you don't have a kindle that doesn't matter there's the kindle app that you can download and then you can read any ebook um on your either your phone or your laptop um so or your iPad. i read it on so my laptop and awesome. i loved it everybody and you also read, wrote a wonderful blog entry about Finding your uh, finding picking out your Christmas tree, which is hysterical, and it's on Holly Kingston's <laughs> website. But I just want to end by talking. You know, we just met. I just found out about her book because of the diva subtitle, and I emailed you, and I'm so grateful that I got to meet you. And I found out that you have a friend living with diabetes, and you know, our whole thing at Divabetic is about inspiring and encouraging. And so it's kind of a thrill to have you on the show. And I I just want to send a special message to your friend. Um, that we're here at divabetic.org. Not only do we out- love outreaching to women at risk affected by living with diabetes, but we love all types of men too. I have a brother living with type 1. So tell us a little bit about your friend and give him a shout out on this side of the pond. And, uh, and then we're going to wish you luck in 2014. Thank you so much, Max. So if I could say a shout out to Jim. Um, he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes 13 years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that what you're doing is phenomenal i love your website i love your message um the whole glam more fear less absolutely fabulous it's just wonderful and thank you so much for having me on the show i really appreciate it well you know what it did glam more fear less didn't sound good until i heard a british accent thank you holly have a great <laughs> night and congratulations remember get a cinderella christmas i love it <laughs>
know, I was, I'm so looking forward to this show tonight. I, I can't wait to introduce you to all the most fascinating people in my life. Not only this year, but for several years. I just met Holly, but my next guest I've known for quite a few years. She's an amazing artist who, puts, who, put words, who put words to our thoughts, fears, and desires around food and transformed them into a breathtaking display called the Plate Poetry Project. With the support of Oneida, Clayton, and Dreamfields, the Plate Poetry Project was on display at SUNY Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn in November during National Diabetes Awareness Month. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Susan McCaslin. Hello, Susan. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm I'm so excited that you're on the show because you haven't been on the show in a very long time. And I I just, you know, Susan, I think the world of you, I want everyone to, we have to tell, well, no, we'll tell everyone our relationship at the end of this, but I want to talk about plate poetry because I'll tell, I want to tell the listeners what's fascinating about this whole story was that we were turned down for a grant on this program um, when you first came up with the idea, and yet we persevered, and you dug in, and you had like the biggest showing uh, this year, two years later. So I think it's just extraordinary how you kind of overcame the defeat and kind of rose to the victory, and certainly being at Downstate Medical Center with the help of Lorraine Brooks and that whole team was an incredible opportunity. And I really do feel like Plate Poetry Project is an amazing opportunity people for people to kind of get a, uh, wrap their brains around this emotional eating. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the concept of the Plate Poetry Project. Well, first of all, what I do want to say about uh, not getting turned down and moving forward with it was something that really taught me an amazing lesson of perseverance, but not not what I always thought perseverance was, which was just sort of sticking to your guns, but allowing there to be this kind of organic change that would happen, that when one thing doesn't go right, moving to another thing can end up getting you to a better place than you were when you thought you were supposed to be. So I think that the project we ended up with was so superior to what we had first done our grant for. So um, plate poetry is, it really, it came to me when you had asked me if I could come up with some kind of an art project that would talk about diabetes. And it's something that I realized that every time I would sit down to eat, I always had some kind of emotional feeling around what I was eating. If it was either about guilt that I was eating what I was eating or stress that I was not in the right place to be sitting down eating. And so I decided to come up with words to put on my plate. And in doing that, I was able to to sort of make phrases out of the words. Uh, And as I started showing them to people, people really enjoyed playing with them. They really enjoyed the idea of having these words on something that they could move around. So I realized it was very tactile also. So um, as we moved forward, I started buying plates at Goodwill, which is, of course, one of my favorite places to shop. So it gave me an opportunity to buy as many plates as I could, and I started putting words that I would cut out and glue down and then shellac over them. And the, the piles just started piling up in my studio, and it became something that uh, really has become a part of my life. I'm looking forward to the next stage with it, what we're going to be doing next with it. I think that you're getting a grant from Oneida to give us dishes was an incredible thing because, again, it was because I couldn't afford to go out and buy dishes, I was using Goodwill dishes, but once I had these beautiful dishes in my studio, I knew 
I had to use words that were joyful, happier words that were produced a little bit better. So I would I used stickers this time instead of gluing them down. And when we put them all together, it was just a beautiful, beautiful display. And, and people, people really reacted. On, they could see it on the. Uh, they could see pictures of the display on Divabetic's Facebook pages. The thing mm-hmm. that I found so fascinating about this is I don't think people, you know, that idea that we don't really, we're not really conscious of what we're thinking when we sit down to eat. I mean, most of us mm-hmm. aren't even conscious that we're eating. People are driving while they eat, people are or drinking, right. people are on the computer while they eat or drink, people, you know, you're doing everything. A lot of people stand at the stove and they're making a meal while they're, you know, and eating at the same time. So when you it really kind of this project really made you have to center and and really stop and just kind of experience eating you know and and yeah. i think that is uh did it change did it change your relationship with food working on the project well it really did and what i was going to say when i was listening to high voltage about sugar uh, there was a time where just one day I kind of woke up and said, I'm going to just stop eating sugar today and I'm going to start doing some other more positive ways of eating. I think it was it was because of the plates. Um, and I did that for probably four months and I felt the best I've felt in years and years and years. And then, you know, a little bit of stress started coming in and I started eating a little bit more stressfully and more emotionally and so now I'm, I have to get back on track. That's my New Year's resolution is to get back on track. But it, it, I really am understanding the organic quality of all of this. It's not about doing it, you know, starting and ending. It's not about doing it correctly or wrongly. It's about flowing with it and just allowing it to move where it's supposed to go. So for right now with my diet, I'm not, I'm maybe not eating as well as I would like to, but there are other things that are going very well in my life. So it's all about balance and, you know, I think that build, putting the plates, I mean, I did over 250 plates and that was quite a project. So there was a moment where I thought I'm not going to be able to do this and I just let just do one plate at a time and I did and I was able to finish it in time for the exhibit. So that's kind of, I think, a a way of thinking for every part of my life. And where do you want to see happen in 2014, Susan? Well, 2014, I would like to take uh, the Play Poetry Project farther. I'm not quite sure we, how, where I want to go with that, whether I want to display it more often or if I want to actually build a product around it that could help people. But also with my own artwork, um, I was lucky enough in 2012 to receive an artist fellowship grant from the state of Connecticut so my goal is to start applying for more and more grants, and including plate poetry, I'd like to apply for some health-slash-art grants and see what we could get, because I would really like to move more towards fine arts and my sculpture and all of this, and rather than um, working in graphic design all the time stuck at a computer. I want to get out there and get some work done. All right, now we have to take a minute and just... I have to play the drum roll, and, and okay. um, I want to um, tell people your, your identity. Susan McCaslin is the designer of the divabetic.org website from the beginning, and we've worked together. I can't believe it's going to be nine years, Susan yeah. McCaslin. And when you heard Holly Kingston say that she loved the website, and that's a woman living in Britain. I want people to know you're the, you're the hands, the mind, the eyes behind the website. It has affected so many people. 
It's inspired, encouraged. They love the the colors. They react to the flair, the flashiness, the fun, the whole attitude you put into divabag.org. I could not have done it without you, and it's it was thrilling to to move through 2013 with you and see Plate Poetry Project become what it is. And and yet now when I look back and see divabag.org, I'm blown away. So I mean, what is it like to know? what you did for so many men and women at risk affected by and living with diabetes. It's just so moving. And when I heard I heard her say that, I I thought it it kind of shocked me. It was, you know, I forget about it. I forget it because it's an ongoing daily thing that we work on together. I I forget the effect that it has. And the same with the plate poetry. It had huge effects at the at the hospital with people coming through, and it means so much to me. It really does. And and uh, that's why getting out and getting away from my computer and getting away from sitting here doing these things so that I can get out to people and talk about things is just so exciting. So well, I was, really it was a privilege to partner with you, and I want us to do more art projects at divabetic.org. Yes. And if people want to see more things, they should definitely email me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com. Join our Facebook and Twitter accounts, and definitely check out Susan McCaslin. She, you're in the Connecticut area. You're always having art shows. And uh, what a pleasure to have you on the show tonight and to celebrate you, Susan McCaslin. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity, Max. I love you. Time to turn the page and meet a fabulous Southern women's fiction author, accomplished public speaker, and a board member of the South Carolina Writers' Workshop. She has inspired me with a dash of romance in her southern accent from the moment I heard her speak in May at the book fair in Columbia, South Carolina. Please welcome Kim Boykin. Hi, Kim. I, I, covered, I covered you with the applause. All right, Kim, you, you changed my year for me. You were the game changer in 2013. Well, I, I don't know. I just uh, actually I just bought Holly's book, and and I was just sitting here amening Susan. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, I want to tell everyone that um, your book, your first novel, The Wisdom of Hair. I went to the book fair with my mother, Mama Rosemarie, in Columbia, South Carolina, after doing an event at Taking Control of Your Diabetes. And I heard you speak about a character in your book. And this is what captivated me is uh, one of the, the moderators on the panel you were on asked you, like, what was one of the surprises in writing your first book? And I'm going to paraphrase, but I remember you saying that uh, you had one of your main characters in your book was beautiful, strong, sexy, confident, and stylish. And she happened to be like a size 20. And the women or the men from the PR team in New York said that can't possibly be true, that Sarah Jane, the character in The Wisdom of Hair, simply could not have all those qualities and be a size 20. And you actually fought to make sure that she stayed a plus size in order to keep the integrity. And, you know, that's all about our glamour, fearless philosophy at Divabetic. And later I'll be talking to uh, Miss Exquisite, 
uh, plus size 2013 Andrea White, who's beautiful, bold, and sexy. And um, she's coming up in the podcast. And it, it just really reminded me why I do what I do at Divabetic and about really taking some of what Voltage said about inspiring people to think positively, to love themselves enough to want to improve their health. And transcend your size. That's what Sarah Jane does. That's what so many of us do. And and unfortunately, we get sort of caught up in the whole, you know, image thing that this crazy world we live in projects. And, and we forget that there are big, beautiful women out there and that they are just as beautiful on the outside as they are on the inside. They are. In this book, The Wisdom of Hair, which is available on Amazon.com, and Kim Boykin, you have your own website too, KimBoykin.com, and I follow you on Facebook, uh, is a lovely story. It talks really about the power of transformation with makeovers of hair. You, you grew up around hair. Your mother actually ran, did she not run a beauty school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was not the beauty school. She had a beauty salon. But, yeah, I saw firsthand on a daily basis how women would come in and just be totally bedraggled or depressed or or maybe they were in a good mood and they left in a great mood. But what my mom did for them was she, you know, in just doing little changes to their hair or just or just as we say down south, fixing their hair, um, she changed their lives. And, and, and so much of, I think, what women experience is um, – you know, the outside is the easiest thing to let go of uh, and, and to lose sight of. And, and I think that uh, going to the salon and getting fluffed up and getting beautiful and reminding ourselves that there is a diva in there, it, it's, just, it, it, it's just a huge thing. It is, and, and, you know, we use that philosophy at Divabetic, and I think, you know, again, going back to Sarah Jane, she's not the main character. She's one of the characters in this book. It, it was just so delightful to read that. But what happened afterwards is I contacted you through Facebook, and I asked you to be on a, an early podcast that I did earlier this year that people could still listen to at, um, on Diva Talk Radio. And then you introduced me to Brenda Novak. And what happened is you become this huge diabetes advocate because thanks to you, I created the whole Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance campaign, interviewing authors like Brenda Novak, Cherry Adair, uh, well, just met Holly Kingston. I've got a couple more authors coming up. But I also, Robin Carr was on the show and Marie Boswick was on the show. And so was Kristen Higgins. And along the way, I partnered with not only these authors, but um, certified diabetes educators, as well as um, therapists to kind of get across a message about sexual wellness and diabetes and learning how to uh, not be so embarrassed about talking about sexual wellness issues with your doctor. So from just meeting you and going to a book fair, I've also had the pleasure of reading so many books. But it also, we, we kind of in our own way have partnered together to kind of change people's lives. And I just appreciate you so much for what you're doing. And Kim? All right. I think uh, I'm waiting to see what happened with Kim. As we wait for Kim, I'll just tell you really quickly, you could go visit Kim's website at the, the Wisdom of Hair. Oh, it's at I'm Kim sorry, Boy- can you hear me? No, I couldn't <laughs> hear you at all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what I said was, um, oh, I forgot what I said. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? We were just talking about... All the great people I met you through, and I know oh, for yeah, a fact yeah. that... 
Brenda Novak is just a uh, a dynamo. She's tireless. Uh, her son has juvenile diabetes, and she is just dedicates so much of her time uh, to, uh, to raising money for research. And then all the other great authors who jumped on board in November. Um, and the great thing about romance is, um, yeah, you get a love story. Uh, but a lot of the books are actually educational. Brenda uh, has written about um, characters who've had diabetes in her books and, 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 and other women's issues as well. Like uh, I think I read one this summer, uh, Women's Liver Fatty Disease. So, so not only are you getting this great love, uplifting love story, you're learning a little bit. And I think part of... Part of the good thing about that is sometimes, especially as women get older, and I'm 55, so I'm right there, you just think that you're the only one that maybe, you know, things are slowing down a little bit, things are, are different, uh, that you're, you're putting on a little more weight than you used to. And it's so great to, to read these stories and find out that, about real women that are, that are, are just like you. I agree. I became a huge fan of women's fiction and romance novels based on just what you said. Both Robin Carr and oh, Brenda yeah. Novak both write about all different things going on in people's lives, not only about the romance, but the health issues. You've actually got, um, so your first book came out, but you've got actually have a new book coming out, an e-novella as well, called Steal Me Cowboy, coming out in the beginning of January. Is that correct? <laughs> I do, and I'm so excited about it. It's my first ebook. Uh, Feel Me Cowboy is the story of a South, sassy South Carolina hairstylist whose um, boyfriend of six years, he's a, he's a minor league baseball player, um, he breaks the news to her that he's, he's, he's never been able to commit, that he's moving to Missoula, Montana. And so um, uh, our heroine's name is Rainy Brown. Rainy loses her job. She decides to go to Montana to put the screws to Adam. And uh, on the way there, she meets Beck Hartnett, and, and, um, and, he, uh, and he's the cowboy who, who tries to steal her. And it's just, it was such a fun, fun story. Um, all the Montana-born books, uh, you can find them all on Amazon, are just, are just wonderful, fun stories. I love it. And then next year you have another book coming out uh, based on South Carolina. Is that correct? Taking place yeah, in South from, Carolina? Yeah, from Penguin. Uh, that's my, uh, who I traditionally publish through. And, um, and it's called Palmetto Moon. And mm -hmm. it's a story of a, uh, it's set in 1947. It's a story of a Charleston high society runaway bride. And she escapes the night before a wedding. And she runs away to a little crossroads community called Round O, South Carolina, and she falls in love with a guy who owns a diner, and uh, her powerful father uh, tries to find her and make her marry the wrong guy. It is such a fun story. I just finished edits on it. And, uh, right now I have an August, I don't have a firm date, but I have an August 2014 pub, pub date. Is it incredible to be known as an author now, Kim? <laughs> yes. I mean, this is what, you know, I raised two kids, and I've been home, and, I, and, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've done for everybody else for so long, and, and, it, and it is. It's like, a, it's like Christmas morning every morning. 
Well, and you also, I want to tell everyone, they should follow you, KimBoykin.com. And you, you've actually been making tours through all these book clubs across the country. I see photos all the time on Facebook of different places you visited. Tell everyone a little bit about what it's like. What, what has your experience been about visiting these book clubs and some of the friendships you've seen people develop around books? I love book clubs. Um, I think that it's it's uh, it's kind of the it's kind of the the thinking woman's girls' night out uh, because most of it uh, most of the time you're there uh, you have a glass of wine you have some some hors d'oeuvres but you're sitting around you're talking about books and life too but it's just such a wonderful. Um, it's such a wonderful, cozy environment. I think, especially um, when I think that we need that. I didn't. Um, I had two kids and 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 was so busy with them. I didn't do the girls' night stuff or the girls' weekend stuff, and I, I really miss that. And I see that these women cultivate that those relationships and how important that is to them. And it's really a cool thing. As an author, coolest thing is that when you go to these book clubs, they've read your book, and most of them love it. They have some really interesting um uh, insights on sequels or routine, redeeming a character or uh, they they come up with some amazing uh, ideas and it's kind of like, well, goodness, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a way maybe if there's a sequel we'll use it. So it's really great. I, I've, I love book clubs. And, and if anybody um, um, out in Cyberland, uh, if you're interested, uh, I'm happy to Skype with book club members, or if you're in the Charlotte area, North Carolina area, or South Carolina area, I'm happy to come to your book club. And tune in next year because we're going to have you back on when you have your next novel come out. I have to tell you before you leave, and I'm so thankful you were on the show tonight, you changed my life this year and changed the way I did outreach. And without you, I would have never started the Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance campaign, and it's probably one of my favorite moments of the year and I just want to acknowledge to everyone and acknowledge you for what you inspired me to do so please check out Kim Boykin at KimBoykin.com and pick up The Wisdom of Hair she's my favorite author of 2013 thanks Matt Well, now this is going to be interesting because how do I introduce my next guest? She's an award-winning science teacher whose first graphic novel titled Diabetes and Me, An Essential Guide for Kids and Parents, helps people to take charge of their health and to understand what it means to be diagnosed with diabetes in a dazzling way. I also love this book, and I was thrilled to review it early on. Please welcome to the show Kim Chandler. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I think I, I screwed up your last name. So tell everyone, Kim, Kim Chandler. Chandler. One more time. It's, a, it's Chandler, but um, it's a hard one to pronounce, so um, don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm struggling with it. I guess I'll stick to the pictures. This book, <laughs> is, this is a graphic novel, everyone. This is your first book as well. So Holly, Kim, and Kim are all first-time authors, which is we're showing you tonight, everybody, that to be fascinating in 2014, maybe that's your chance to write a novel or, or do a ga- graphic novel. Now, how did you come up with this idea? Because it's so eye-catching. I, I really enjoyed this book. I want to know, how did you come up with the idea of Diabetes and Me? Well, actually, um, my husband's a cartoonist, 
And one of his closest friends, who's also a cartoonist, his name is Dean Haspiel, he had a brother who, who was type 1. Um, I've been type 1 for 27 years. And um, there was a publisher who was looking to create a graphic novel series for kids about health. And um, they actually reached out to my husband and I um, to see if we could put a script together and um, work on the project. And um, we did. And it was wonderful to work with him as a partner and to also sort of re-explore all those things that a person has to do to maintain a healthy lifestyle with type 1 diabetes. So we, we were very lucky that, um, that our friends thought of us, and the project was a fantastic thing to put together. And it really is beautifully designed all the way through. Now, I know you also have children, so were some of the things you were writing about, things you expressed to your own children about having diabetes? Sure. That's been a very interesting challenge. Um, I've been a diabetic since I was about 16, and I have two daughters who um, are 12 and 6. And they have asked me questions about my daily care, blood testing. Um, I wear an insulin pump. Um, and it's been a, a, an interesting process. It's similar to being a science teacher it, that I explain how I deal with uh, and manage the disease. It actually helps me learn better about myself and, and really understand um, where I might need better education or a better way of explaining kind of how my day works. My youngest uh, sorry, my older daughter, who's 12 now, when she was about three or four, um, she used to wear a little wooden block in her back pocket because she would tell people she had a pump too. And I, I found it just a very a fascinating thing to have to tell her, you don't actually want to have diabetes. But um, I, felt, I felt so touched that she wanted to understand it and that that was the way she chose to do it. Absolutely. Now, I think a lot of people would be curious about what age a parent tells a child that they have diabetes because in some ways they're a part of in many ways they're a part of your entourage and it's important to have them be aware that you're living with diabetes in case they have to help you treat a high or low blood sugar actually i think that um parents especially type 1 parents who um have had to deal with a lot of low blood sugar reactions or you know any anything that would require another person's help would be wary of laying that kind of responsibility on a um, child, especially of their own. But I, I think I tried to make sure my daughters understood the um, way I handle my uh, life as early as possible. And as a science teacher, I feel really strongly about that because it's a, a way of gaining scientific literacy. But on the other hand, um, also telling them that, you know, I have a safe system in place, that um, if they need help, um, they can get it also, and that reaching out to your support network is, is really important. So um, I think that um, as soon as children can understand sort of how digestion works and um, what ways uh, all healthy people need to eat and keep fit, um, the better, you know, the earlier the better. Yeah, I really love how you explain that in the book as well. So tell tell everyone a little bit about um, because it, the 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 character really kind of is you in the way she kind of educates people about diabetes through this book, Diabetes and Me. Well, the the um, one thing that I thought would be really important to put out there for um, newly diagnosed diabetics that might be a little different than other books that are guides or written perhaps by physicians who are providing really medical advice, would be to help with that like social-emotional piece that a lot of kids experience. Um, if they're newly diagnosed with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes, uh, it might be very, very overwhelming to see how much they need to learn about food and exercise and medication. And um, sometimes that emotional piece can be left behind. 
So I thought that um, one thing this book could do would be to break down, first of all, all those giant pieces of information, but in a way that was really supportive and encouraged kids to talk about and um, reach out about their process as they go from being newly diagnosed to someone who can actually feel proud of how they take care of themselves and um, what they've learned in the process of uh, becoming a diabetic. And that's where I think the whole partnering of the writing with the graphic art really kind of works so well together in this book because it kind of slows down the learning, you know, because they're so visual as well. There's so many things to take in and on the page. And I thought what I enjoyed about this book was that uh, just what you said, Kim, but then also, you know, people out there should know that if they pick up a copy of Diabetes Me and an essential guide for kids and parents, they're going to find like these beautiful drawings by your husband, but it, it really does require you to kind of slow down and, you know, you're looking and reading at the same time. And I think it, it, it just really instigates conversation in a great way. I think that um, what's really interesting about graphic novels as ways of learning um, Recently, of course, they, they've become more popular in schools as ways that, my husband writes historical fiction otherwise, so he had a book, for example, about Lewis and Clark and about Houdini. And um, it's a different medium. It really requires you to do a different kind of thinking than reading straight text. And um, it's more sophisticated than a lot of people um, assume when they think about a comic book and a superhero um, because you're uh, really using your imagination, you're um, between panels thinking about different time frames, different ways of looking at a situation. And for kids who are visual learners or really um, think in really creative ways, it can be a, a relief to have uh, different ways of processing information as opposed to just looking at a, you know, how to have diabetes brochure. It worked for me. I mean, you're describing me as a child, and I, I mean, <laughs> even in my 40s, it's work. I love this book. I thought it was. Now, tell everyone how they could get their hands on it. Sure, it's available on Amazon. It's also in Barnes and Noble. It's um, the publisher is Hill and Wang, which is an imprint of um, Fair Strauss and Giroux. And um, so, uh, if you look Challoner and Diabetes um, and Me, you'll see it there. And um, I'm going to be doing a signing at the Cure Thrift Shop next week. So if anybody is in New York City um, and they're looking for some unusual holiday gifts, uh, the Cure Thrift Shop is um, a place that where the proceeds go to uh, type 1 diabetes research. And um, if you look at the Cure Thrift Shop blog, you can see a listing for that reading and um, do a, a find out a little bit more about the book and, and about a store that helps diabetics. Okay, it sounds fantastic. And what's going to happen for you in 2014? Are you and your husband going to partner on more books? I hope we get a chance to do that. Um, I'm, in, I'm also a high school teacher, and I'm teaching in a brand new high school. So, um, one of my best, one of my accomplishments this year, besides getting this book um, out, was working with students. Um, I'm, I uh, I love helping students understand science, and it's it's really important to me um, that. Uh, you know, that there are better opportunities for people to become, you know, scientifically literate. But um, I suppose one of my future goals for 2014 would be to get out of my comfort zone and try to be a little bit more diva, <laughs> you know, uh, look, look at um, how to have fun while I'm taking care of myself, and I will look to your website for inspiration. I love it. I always love You know, Kim was the very first woman to ever attend a Diva Better Club meeting all the way back, I can't even remember, I want to say 2006, at the YMCA. <laughs> and I'm so... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so proud to um, have everyone find out about this book. I'll be posting more at Divabetic's Facebook fan pages and on our blog. So look out, everybody, because 
Diabetes and Me, a graphic novel approach to learning about diabetes. It's How Diabetic Is That? It's phenomenal. Congratulations and good luck in 2014. Thank you, and thank you so much for inviting me. Let's keep the fabulousness going, shall we, with a little glamour. It's time to infuse this podcast with a powerful shot of beautiful. And I want to introduce you to a woman who's dedicated to promoting positive imagery of plus-sized people as Miss Exquisite Full-Figured USA 2013 by sharing her experience as a plus-size model and advocating against weight bias and stigma. Please welcome to the show, Andrea White. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Max. Thank you for having me. Now, I have had the pleasure of meeting you in person, and you are absolutely beautiful, stunning, and you're so well-spoken. And I want to know, what, what was the experience of being crowned Miss Exquisite Full-Figured USA all about for you? What has it been? Well, you know, it's been an interesting uh, past several months. I'm, I won the crown in March of 2013, and ever since then, things have been kind of a roller coaster ride. You know, I go out promoting the pageant and talking about my platform. My reason for doing the pageant was to, you know, expose people to the concept of encouraging plus-size people to be more physically active, and I wanted people to be aware of the importance of enjoying physical activity regardless of your size and um, seeing it as a, something that you enjoy, uh, not just for the purpose of losing weight, but just because you enjoy the after effects, that afterglow that you get after you spend an hour dancing or doing Zumba or riding a bicycle or whatever it is that you choose to do. So that's kind of what I've been, been doing for the past several months, in addition to modeling and pretending to be beautiful. <laughs> Not pretending at all. I mean, I, you heard different <laughs> women's voices today on this podcast talking a little bit about dealing with their size and who they are today. And I think it is, you're yes. so powerful in what you do. And together we, we were in New York, and we also worked in Bethesda, Maryland, and people were just coming up to you in droves. I mean, they're just so appreciative. Do you ever feel, I mean, how do you feel when people walk up to you and they, they see you in the tiara and the sash? And I, I just see the women's faces change. Like you just give them, you show them the possibility. Right. I think a lot of it is uh, based on the fact that a lot of people aren't used to seeing a plus-size woman in the crown and tiara. So it is a very novel concept for people. And I think for a lot of women who have been dealing with and struggling with their weight and their concepts of beauty and their body, that seeing someone who has the opportunity to participate in a beauty pageant that you know, recognizes the beauty of plus-size women, I think that's something that's totally new to them. So I love talking to people about the pageant. I love talking to young women who have been struggling with their weight, and I think they, they see this as something exciting and something that they never thought was possible for them. So that's always fun for me. I love it. And what's fascinating me about you, Andrea, too, is that you have a family history of diabetes, and you made some major lifestyle changes on your own based on someone close to you living with diabetes. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, uh, my mom has uh, had diabetes for over 40 years, and it's been the entirety of my life. And, you know, watching her deal with her diabetes and how it has changed as she has aged and matured and uh, the impact that it has had on her life uh, really made me become more aware of what I was doing. And I slipped into that pre-diabetic range myself, and after experiencing what my mom dealt with, it really kind of turned a light on for me to say, hey, you don't want this to get worse. You want to do what you can do to try to improve this situation. So I, uh, I really adjusted my eating habits, and, you know, it's, it's always a, a challenge when you make those types of changes, and I became more physically active. Uh, I'm still considered a plus-size woman, but the weight loss that I had was enough to really make a big difference in my health outcomes. Fortunately, I did not have uh, high blood pressure and a lot of those things that uh, a lot of people present with when they are diabetic or in the early stages or pre-diabetic, but um, it really made a difference in lowering that um, A1C and putting me on a more positive path. All right, and, and did obviously becoming more physically active change a lot of things for you? Yes, yes. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't realize when you are inactive um, how your body has changed and how your joints are because they're carrying extra weight and they're not used to moving in certain ways, um, you know, that impact that it has on your body. So when you first start moving, you know, you get those aches and pains and you're using muscles that you haven't used in a long time, and it really makes you more aware of your body overall. And uh, my body thanked me because the weight that I lost was enough to ease some of the aches and pains that I had in my joints, particularly my knees, um, and it just made walking and being active more, much more easy for me. All right, and now tell everyone what's coming up for you in 2014, because I heard the beginning of the year is going to be a, quite a splash. <laughs> well, uh, you know, 2014 looks to be exciting. I'm, I'm working hard to uh, launch the Make a Big Move campaign, which is a, a fitness campaign geared towards encouraging plus-size people to be more physically active and uh, doing more appearances around that. We are launching in January with an event at the Yotel, which uh, should be very exciting, and I'm encouraging anyone who is in the New York area to stop by the Yotel on January 4th and just hang out with us. It's going to be a fitness fashion dance party, so please join us. And after that, I'm working with a number of fashion events, fashion shows. I've been traveling between D.C., New York, and L.A., promoting uh, Miss Exquisite Full Figure USA, uh, the, uh, the Make a Be Move campaign, and I'm also launching my own business called The Style Producers, which is a professional imaging and fashion production company. So there's a lot going on. You better, like Shalimar, you better make your move, Andrea. You're amazing. <laughs> Miss Exquisite is exquisite, ladies and gentlemen. I loved having you on the show. I loved meeting you this year. All the best to you and your family you. during the holidays. Thanks for being a part Thank of the show, you. Andrea. Thank you so much, Matt. Wow, everybody. Well, we are having such a good time tonight. I 
am thrilled to introduce you to some of the people I think are the most fascinating in my life in 2013, and hopefully you'll be on the list next year. If you want to be part of our podcast, all you have to do is email me at mrdivabedic at gmail.com or join our Facebook, Divabedic Facebook fan or group pages. Send me a message, and we'll put you on one of the Diabetes Roundtable podcasts. Uh, you could share your story of diagnosis to diva or diagnosis to dude. And if you do join us on the Diabetes Roundtable show, You'll get to meet three fantastic educators, and one of them is coming up. I've had the privilege of working with my next guest backstage on D-Life as well as on stage working on Carb Kitty. She's a renowned diabetes educator and a lecturer who earned her master's degree in applied physiology and nutrition from Columbia University. She's a member of D-Life's medical advisory board and the food and nutrition expert for dlife.com. She's also authored several articles for Walgreens, Diabetes in You, and she this year co-authored a book called The Complete Diabetes Organizer, Your Guide to a Less Stressful, More Manageable Diabetes Life. Please welcome Susan Greenberg Wiener. Hello, Susan. Hey, Max. It's awesome to be here tonight. Well, you're fascinating and you're fabulous. I, I just adore you. I think you're, uh, you work so hard all year long, you've got your hand in so many different things. I know you work with Diabetes Sisters, but you also work with the Marjorie Fund, which I want you to tell everyone uh, a little bit later on what that's all about. But I'm really cu- curious, Susan, uh, if we have a cluttered lifestyle, is that really hurting our diabetes? It is. And one of the reasons that I came up with the concept of this book and I wrote it, my co-author, I just want to give her a shout-out, is a certified professional organizer. Her name is Leslie Josell, and she's just fascinating and fabulous and a diva herself. Um, I was, the concept of the book came to me because I've been a diabetes educator and a registered dietitian over 25 years. And when patients come to me in my office, they are so bombarded and so overwhelmed with their lives in general and then throw diabetes on top of it, they feel cluttered and just overwhelmed and in many cases disorganized. So we came up with the concept of this book to help everybody get organized and healthy with their diabetes, and it does help. It helps tremendously in diabetic management. I really think it, it would definitely would help, and I think for someone who's newly diagnosed who might be listening, this would be the best book to get right now as well as Kim's book on the graphic novel kind of explaining it. But this, this really would help you put the, the right habits in place because let's face it, Susan, I'm sure you, you've worked with so many patients with your private practice. You've seen people kind of develop bad habits around diabetes. So part of it is kind of untraining your brain to start a new habit. And one of the things I love that you talk about is just how easy it is to kind of organize a refrigerator and kind of weed out some of the confusion around that. Absolutely. And each chapter in the book is a standalone, but bringing up the refrigerator chapter, everyone needs to be healthy. And whether you have, not everybody in the house might have diabetes, but everyone in the house can eat healthier for sure. So we take the time to just discuss how to organize your kitchen. If you step back from your kitchen, do you look at your kitchen and say, I don't cook because I can't see my counters or the pots and pans fall on my head every time I open up a cabinet? or there are black holes in my pantry, as Leslie would say, because you just can't find anything in there because there are so many things that are cluttering up the front of the cabinet so you can't see all the healthy foods that might be stuck in the back or things might be expired. So we help people set up their own systems so they can be happier and healthier and in turn 
that will help you manage your blood sugar levels better because you're eating well and taking care of yourself, for sure. And we should tell everyone, the book is kind of set up like a workbook that you kind of, you know, you could pull, it's like a spiral notebook that people could kind of work with, correct? Yes, yes. And I have to just say, just before I talk a little bit more about my book, there are a number, after listening tonight, there's a number of new books on my list to get. As soon as I'm off the call, I'm going on Amazon and ordering everybody else's book. Um, I, I, I've been day, reading nonstop since I met Kim Boykin, and I haven't I'm stopped. And I've, I've been loving every minute. And I love reading your book. And I want to share some, you know, the holidays are coming up. You know, this is a real, you're talking about people feeling overwhelmed with their diabetes, whether they're newly diagnosed or like Kim said earlier, living with diabetes for 26 years. Sometimes it's just overwhelming, especially on top of the craziness of the holidays. What are some of the tips, what are a few tips you could share from the book that might just help streamline someone's approach to going into this holiday season? Yeah, diabetes burnout definitely comes into play during the holiday season for sure. The first thing is, Take care of yourself during the holiday season. Everybody needs to take care of yourself. Don't let your life, your nutrition, your exercise, taking your medication, and just don't let your stress spiral out of control. Continue to test your blood sugars. Everything you normally do, put yourself first. Don't let shopping or cooking or attending events prevent you from taking care of yourself. So if you have a bunch of events or parties that are all lined up, don't be afraid to ask the host or hostess what's on the menu. And don't be afraid to offer some of your own really healthy dishes to bring along. And if there are some really delicious things that you want to have when you're attending an event or a holiday party, have them. Just plan for them. And everything is about balance. If you want to have a little bit of something, have a little bit of something and move along. Um, I think that having diabetes doesn't mean that diabetes defines you, but it is a part of you when you're doing all these things. So my tips are plan ahead, stay organized, take care of yourself, and don't forget to put yourself first. If you need to continue with your exercise program because that's important to you, stay with it over the holidays. Put things in place that, need, that will help you take care of yourself and your diabetes and make you feel like a diva all through the holiday season. I love it. You know, you're so sassy. I want to tell everyone, like, you kicked to the curb that concept of what a registered dietitian would scare people, that idea that they have in their head that they would just wipe off everything off the menu and start fresh. I feel like since the day I met you, I just feel like you have the attitude I would want to visit you because you kind of, you're, you kind of are taking my plan and helping me live a better life. And I think anyone should really check out this book and check out your website. And they should also find out, Susan, about one of your passions, which is Marjorie's Fund. What is, what is Marjorie's Fund all about? Oh, my God. My passion, Marjorie's Fund is a type 1 diabetes global initiative. And I have to say one of the best things that have happened to me in 2000, two of the best things that have happened to me in 2013 was meeting you, Max, and being involved in some of the things around Diabetic and Marjorie's Fund, which you were all so gracious enough to come to our Marjorie's Fund New York City initiative, which was on October 19th at Chelsea Piers, and, and you were just a phenomenal part of that event. Um, Marjorie's Fund, which was founded by Dr. Jason Baker, who is a New York City endocrinologist who himself has type 1 diabetes. He developed type 1 diabetes in medical school, and I should say that Jason contributed to my book, as did Max, which, which is fabulous. Um, and initially, Marjorie's Fund 
was named after this woman, Marjorie, who unfortunately passed away from diabetes complications. She lived in Africa because of lack of resources and lack of treatment. And Jason um, has been, ever since then, raising funds and awareness and education throughout Africa and in India. And recently, I became part of the Marjorie's Fund New York City initiative because there are resource-poor people with type 1 diabetes, of course, in the New York City area. So it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about and um, I will continue to work with. I also do volunteer my time for Diabetes Sisters, and next year we'll be speaking at their conference um, in Washington, D.C., which I believe is in April, on the topic of diabetes organization. And Diabetes Sisters is for women who do have, well, women who have diabetes and people who are involved with women with diabetes to help advocate and to educate. So I just love everybody working together to help find a cure and to help us live better lives with diabetes, for sure. Me too. And definitely pick up your book. Tell everyone where they could get it. You're the co-author with Leslie Giselle. One more time, Susan. Sure. We could pick up our book, um, The Complete Diabetes Organizer, just about anywhere online, including Amazon Books, Million, Barnes Noble. Um, my wonderful publisher, Spry Publishing. Um, also, we can go to the Spry site and order the book. And if you go to my website, which is SusanWienerNutrition.com, one word, you could even just click on a picture of the book and it'll take you right to the Amazon site. So very easy. And if anybody ever has any questions about anything to do with nutrition, fitness, diabetes, contact me through my website and I'd love to hang out with you and answer any of your questions. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show and happy holidays. You too. Are we having fun yet, everybody? I'm having a great time introducing you to some of my most fascinating friends this year. I'm looking forward at the end of the show to announcing our mystery guest. She's making up an appearance for me, and I can't wait to let you know who she is. But in the meantime, I want to introduce you to another lovely woman who I met, I had first time met this year, and she changed my life because she became a Facebook friend, and then I got to meet her live in person. And you know, almost everyone knows someone who has diabetes, an estimated 20 3.6 million people in the, United, in the United States have diabetes right now. And that's why I feel it's so important to pre provide free diabetes educational outreach and inspiration so that these people can keep their house at home and learn how to prevent a diabetes health-related complication. I know sometimes when you're newly diagnosed, like Susan just said, you could be overwhelmed or burned out, and that's why I think it's important to clap your hands and cheer people on who are digging in, not denying their connection, their condition, and seeking help for it for it all through the ups and downs, and I love to shine a spotlight on one of them. So please welcome one of our digital divas. It's Taryn from Boston. Hi, Taryn. Hi, Max. I'm so thrilled to be a part of this show. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. <laughs> I think you're fabulous. We finally got to meet. You live up in Boston. You, you introduced yourself through the Divabetic Facebook page, and then we finally got to meet earlier this year at Taking Control of Your Diabetes in Worcester. And um, one of the things I think is so wonderful is that you are, you've only been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes for about a year and a half, correct? It's closer to two years, but yes, it's really still recent, um, and it's still something I'm still learning about, so it's, it's all fairly new still. And it's been, there have been times that it's been a struggle for you, correct? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, when I was first diagnosed, I'd say the first couple of months were, were pretty difficult, and I, I would say even a little bit dark. But, um, you know, through the help of uh, pretty much information, educating myself and um, stumbling, I stumbled upon DivaBetic, thank goodness, um, and just starting to see diabetes in a new way, um, I was able to kind of change my attitude and my outlook and just, you know, realize that this is, a, you know, an opportunity to become healthier, really, instead of being depressed about what I can't do anymore, for example. So it's really kind of using some of the positive affirmations like Voltage was saying at, at the beginning of the show and putting them in place to kind of help you kind of go from diagnosis to diva. But what would you say to someone right now, Taryn, who was in your shoes about a year and a half ago, who's, who's kind of in a dark place? What would you like to tell them since you've, you're coming out on the other side right now? Uh, that's a wonderful question. I would love to tell them that it doesn't have to change who you are. Um, that you are still you, even though you have diabetes. Um, you know, I was uh, only 33 when I was diagnosed, so I wasn't, um, I wasn't expecting that at that point in my life. Um, and so I felt, you know, especially when you're newly diagnosed, you're also often given lots of medications for other things, for example, high blood pressure, even though, you know, I don't necessarily have high blood pressure. They give you all kinds of different medications. It's overwhelming. You start feeling, you know, um, like it's running your life. And I think it's just really taking back your life and realizing that I can be myself and, and diabetes is, like you said, just a part of, it's a part of who I am, but it's not, it doesn't define me. It's not, it's not who I am. And, uh, and, I, and would, I, I guess I would want them to know that. I would want them to see that. And, and also, I mean, because you're, you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at a very young age. You're one of the few. You said when you first realized you were, you know, when you were diagnosed with type 2, a lot of people you looked at were like 30, 40 years older than you are, correct? Exactly, exactly. And I, I think that's why diabetic um, appealed to me so much because, I love fashion, I love, you know, I love music, I love all, all kinds of things. And I felt when I was diagnosed, all of a sudden I had more in common uh, with people who were much older than I was because of all the, you know, the sh sharing all the different medications and all the different, um, you know, I, I just felt as if, especially in my family, most people that have diabetes are in their 60s. Um, so it just, yeah, it. Um, <laughs> I did feel like I had... Uh, gotten a little bit older but now I, I don't feel that way anymore well i also think like one of the fascinating things is this idea that you kind of uh dubuque which is the idea of um one size fits all with a type 2 diagnosis you've been dealing with a lot of issues that i think a lot of people would think you know quote unquote that's not type 2 and so it's kind of challenging this idea of how many different di types of diabetes there are between type 1 and type 2 as well as gestational and prediabetes like Andrea said earlier but really like what you're dealing with lately you could almost be part of what they're saying 10% of the people with type 2 have which is LADA and that's where you slowly develop a kind of type 1 diabetes because patients have antibodies that are against the insulin producing beta cells of your pancreas I know you haven't been diagnosed right. with this, but you've been dealing with some severe lows, have you not? I, I have, and I, you know, I was thinking about when I when the first time I met you, which was at the Taking Care of Your Diabetes conference in Worcester, 
And I think, um, you know, they had people arranged uh, at the tables by type, I believe, you know, for lunch. And I think I told you, I came back from lunch, I said, oops, I think I sat at the wrong table. But, you know, you wouldn't have known it because the things we were all talking about, you know, I was sitting with a group of type 1 diabetics, but to be honest, I felt like I could completely understand what most of them were talking about when we were talking about treating lows and, you know, um, the roller coaster effect and all of those things. Um, I've been there. Because I do take some very heavy medicine that um, it does it can cause a low if you're not careful. I know, and you know, I love the idea that I love bringing all types of divas and dudes together. And I think you know what you're mm-hmm. doing and sharing your story tonight is showing people that uh, living with type one or those living with type two that there's a lot more going on, more similarities and differences between. Uh, these do two different types of diabetes, and I think it's so important that you share your story as well as others share their story so we could get some common ground here and more understanding. You know, you also affected my outreach this year and kind of brought, um, helped me start looking at mobile apps as a great way to use having health right in your handbag. So I know you reviewed a couple different mobile apps earlier this year. What was one of your favorite ones? Well, I really love the CVS app. That is an app that I use often. <laughs> um, you know, it's just brought a lot of convenience into my life. Um, I also, I, I, ha- I have used, um, I do, the one that we haven't reviewed yet that I, I use quite often is a Live Strong, which is very similar to the My Plate one mm-hmm. that we did. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the, looking for new ones all the time. Um, and so, basically, the ones that are helping me to, keep track of my eating, you know, is, is kind of what I'm looking for right now. And, um, you know, I kind of, I was using it for a while. I think I'm going to try in 2014 to get back into um, using one of those apps to track my food intake um, because they are really wonderful. And the information is right at our fingertips. So it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Well, I love celebrating you. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight, Taryn. Oh, thank you, Max. I love being a part of Divabetic, and I just um, I feel so honored to have been a part of this show. Well, you are. You're one of our digital divas, everybody. Drum roll, please. It's time to meet my final guest. I adore this woman. It's so I've been working with her all year long. Please welcome to the show. She's a poet. She's a writer. She's a jewelry designer. She's a diabetes advocate. She's my partner in crime, Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm great. I wanted you at the end of the show because you're always at the top of the show on Diabetes (laughs) Roundtable, and you will be next week on December 10th. But, Lorraine, what an incredible year we've had together, and you have fascinated me from the very beginning because at this time last year is when you made your first appearance on our podcast. Did you ever think you'd be writing and performing a different poem every month throughout 2013? I did not, and I must thank you for being uh, such a wonderful friend and mentor and advocate and supporter of all the things that I do, not just personally as a, as someone living with diabetes, but also uh, professionally. You've been a guest on my 
uh, TV show at Downstate Medical Center. You and Susan came last month and did a beautiful uh, exhibit of the Plate Poetry Project. I heard you speaking about it earlier, and it was very well received, and I'm getting a lot of very positive feedback on it. So, yes, it's just been uh, a whirlwind, and um, I can't thank you enough. I'm very happy to be a part of your uh, your Divabetic project program and i'm very happy to be one of the divas that you that you think so well of thank you oh uh, you have lifted my game this year you know when you first came aboard we were talking about doing some lighthearted, fun poems but as the year continued they kind of transformed and you took on some deeper issues i mean three of the poems that really spoke to me where we dealt with diabetes and alcohol and we did the kathy lee and hoda poem for, in mm-hmm. april we took um we took a look at um, aging with Sally Fields and the red carpet. And then finally, in uh, I think my favorite poem that really kind of began a whole different journey for us was uh, when you, we had our Diabetes Roundtable podcast inspired by Esther Williams, and we began to talk about body image. And you wrote this amazing poem that kind of really put words to a lot of thoughts and feelings a lot of women shared. And I was wondering if you would mind sharing that tonight. Well, I would love to, Max, and, um, you know, when you asked me to write that poem, I never know what I'm going to write until I sit down to write it, and sometimes I'm even surprised. I I almost have an out-of-body experience. The words just kind of come through me, and that was one of the, what happened when I wrote this particular poem that I called Beauty and the Beach, uh, because you were talking about Esther Williams and body image, and um, I have to honestly say, you know, that I don't have the greatest body image in the world, and I listen to all of your divas talking about how it's, uh, you know, you have to be positive no matter what size you are, and um, that's a wonderful message. But this particular poem is is a little bit different than that, so I will read it and, and thank you for for saying it's one of your favorites. It's actually one of mine also. I'm not Esther Williams. I'm not even close. My body in bathing suits feels clumsy and gross. I look at the swimmers and look at the pool and suddenly feel like a fat, ugly fool. I try to ignore them, these feelings I feel, but the bottom line is the feelings are real. Will I wear a bathing suit? Probably not. I'll probably stay in my clothes and feel hot. I've tried, please believe me, to listen to those who tell me it's okay to take off my clothes. Then I look at others and what comes to mind? I sense they are judging me and being unkind. I wish I was comfortable. I wish I fit in. I wish I was normal. I wish I was thin. I wish people saw me for more than my weight. I wish that I had a much different fate. So hats off to Esther, who swam like a fish, who by all accounts was a beautiful dish. But I am not Esther. I'm all I can be, and sometimes I struggle just being me. One more small thing I must say out loud. If I had a body of which I was proud, if tank tops and two pieces were within my reach, I'd be more than happy to join you at the beach. I'm sure it sounds strange to end the program on that poem tonight, but the truth is, Lorraine, you put the, you know, you, you put the words and the thoughts to what a lot of people are thinking they they don't really voice and i think what we try to do at divabetic 
is really provide a platform for discussion and allow people who feel isolated and alone to share emotions like that, to get real, and then to meet educators like Susan Weiner and other, and read some of these great books or have the enjoyment of uh, one of the books we talked about, either Holly Kingston or Kim Boykins, and, and connect with other divas like Taryn or Kim or yourself and me and um, enjoy the art of like Susan McCaslin and really get inspired by a high voltage when they're ready to do it. But what you did with that poem, in my opinion, was kind of just go to a real place that so many of us feel and give everyone a chance in 2014 now to move forward with us and go forward with Divabetic. Thank you, Max. I look forward to 2014 and doing some more wonderful projects together. And love you, love you very much. And uh, I'm looking forward to next week too. I know, because then uh, you're going to be celebrating 12 divas of Christmas with me. <laughs> you got, yes, you've I got am. a special poem for every month of the year that you participated on the show, and we're spotlighting all the amazing divas we've met throughout the year. You know, working with Lorraine Brooks as well as High Voltage and Susan McCaslin and all the divas who are on the show tonight was an incredible highlight for my year. I'm so grateful for all everybody who's listened to our programs, who's tuned in month after month, or check us out on Facebook or Twitter, and I want you to know that I'm so glad to be part of your entourage, and every diva and dude has one. So together, we're celebrating you listening in 2014. Have a great holiday season. Tune in next week. We'll be back. <laughs>